once again, good morning. My name is Peter Chalo, and um, I am so blessed to have the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. I, I was requested by Pastor Gloria, and I said I will not by any means miss this opportunity. I serve in a ministry called Flick, which is Fulfilling Life in Christ Koinonia, where we teach the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ together with my wife, Pastor Lynette, and a good, good brother of mine, Pastor Mbogo Karaoke. And I am excited because of what God did this just past weekend, where we had a meeting um, at Ufungamano House, which is the Sons of Virtue monthly meeting. And we true, truly can testify, we saw the faithfulness of God, we saw the doing of God in a great way. The theme that we had in the meeting was set from the book of um, Psalms uh, 147 verse three, which says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And I can tell you for a fact that we saw God exposing the deep seated issues in people's hearts and bringing healing to them. The beautiful thing is that God is love, and that God cares for his people, and even for you, that God cares for you. And we just want to continue from that place that we were, and today I will speak about the same as God allows me, uh, and as time permits, we will learn as much as we can this morning. Psalms 147 verse 3, the theme is he healeth the brokenhearted. It says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. That is, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. That is a statement that it's true and worthy of full acceptance that God indeed heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He binds up their wounds. That means he is a caring God. He's a caring God who is interested in healing and binding up those that have been hurt, those that are in pain. And the promise of God's healing was delivered prophetically by the prophet Isaiah, who spoke beforehand about Jesus' coming and what he will do. And so we would therefore expect that by Jesus coming, also healing came with him. And we would also expect that by Jesus coming, there was freedom that we have received from every manner of bondage, every manner of wounds and pain. That is a true reality about Christ's coming. The Bible says in the book of First Timothy chapter three, verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. That shows a summary of all that Christ did as pertains to his assignment toward the sons of men. 
First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, he, he, um, it says rather that, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. And that is what Christ did. And whatever he did, we know that he did it well. Otherwise, if he hadn't done it well, we wouldn't today be testifying of his goodness. I would like to read it in a different rendering just for the purpose of simplicity. In the New Living Translation, let me just get it quickly. Um, it reads in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Without question, this is, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in the human body and vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the whole world and taken to heaven in glory. Rather, in a simpler version, like the message version, it says, that this Christian life is a great mystery, far exceeding our understanding, but some things are clear enough. He appeared in a human body, was proved right by the invisible spirit, was seen by angels, he was proclaimed among all kinds of people, believed in all over the world, taken up into the heavenly glory. And that was the life of Jesus. It shows that he came. So when, he, when, when Isaiah prophesied and said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring or to preach glad tidings. And he went further about the thing that Jesus came to do. It means that Jesus indeed came and he preached glad tidings to us, that he bound up the brokenhearted, that he proclaimed liberty to the captive, the opening of prisons, to those that were bound, he came and did so much good. But yet sometimes when we look at the life of believers, we might not see that good. When you look at the life of a Christian, or rather, if we were to be introspective, if you were to look up to your own life, you would wonder, did Jesus indeed come and heal the brokenhearted? Did Jesus come? Yes, he came. Did I believe in him? Yes, I believed in him. And by believing in him, does it mean that all the things he said he will do, he did? And the, state, the answer would be yes. But then how comes I'm, I'm still hurting? If Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted, how comes I'm still brokenhearted? If he heals the brokenhearted, how comes I am still brokenhearted? If he binds up the wounds, how comes I am still wounded? Praise the Lord. It's so important to ask ourselves those questions. If he came to give us peace, when Jesus proclaimed and said, peace I'll give unto you, not as the world gives. How comes I am not experiencing that peace? If his word says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, 
but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death how comes i still live condemned and the reality is their gap is the knowledge the gap is the understanding the moment that we continually affirm and speak concerning the unsearchable riches of Christ that have been given to the believer, the great inheritance that the believer has in Jesus Christ, the more the believer is able to walk in that reality. If you constantly and continually hear that Jesus loves you and you continue to receive the unveiled realities of Christ, the more you continue walking in those things. But if one day you're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then the other day you're hearing things that are not in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you then begin to waver and walk in a path that is not consistent. So you look at the life of a believer and you can see that there is confusion because they're not able to walk in the affirmation of what Christ has dealt to them. On Saturday, while we were at Fungamana, I was having a conversation with Pastor Kevin Okech. And one of the things that uh, I was discussing with him is I was telling him about um, the persuasion. When you are fully persuaded concerning what the gospel message is, and when you're fully persuaded concerning what should be preached and what should be affirmed. And one of the things that I was able to establish with him as we were discussing is when you are mature, you are not carried away, but you remain constant. When you, are, when, you are, when you are mature, you are not carried away. You remain constant. Why am I saying this? Because the very purpose for which the ministries were given, or the offices, if you would call them that, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, The Bible says from Ephesians chapter 4, um, from verse 7, it says, uh, rather let me start verse 11, apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. He gave these offices or these administrations for the purpose of perfecting saints for the work of ministry. It says in verse 11 that, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If I would read to you in a, a different rendering is, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. That we will be mature in the Lord. Listen to that. that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full com and complete standard of Christ. That we will be mature believers. We will be mature believers. Then it says, then we will no longer be mature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. 
We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like more and more like Christ. That reality is the work of the believer. That when we are mature, when we have the unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, when we learn about Jesus and we become mature people, we are no longer immature children who are tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. And what happens in the body of Christ is when sometimes you have learned about Jesus and you have learned about the goodness of God, you've learned about Christ, and the labor has been invested in your life. Sometimes you might leave and go to a very, 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 very big meeting and very bougie meeting. And because of the numbers that you see in a meeting, because of the glam that you see in a meeting, even when whatever is taught does not align with the reality of Christ, you would quickly begin to be influenced and you would begin to take a detour and you would begin to believe certain things. Why? Because you are, you are moved by the enormity of the numbers. You are moved by the enormity of the crowds. You are moved by uh, the glam that comes with a meeting. Or you look at the light and the sound. Maybe you have traveled um, uh, to, the, uh, to the Americas and you've arrived there for a big conference and you're like, my goodness, wow, I've never seen such glam. I've never seen such excellence, such standards in a meeting. Wow, it's so overwhelming. It is quite amazing. And there you would simply begin to concede with the very things that you believe in. You would begin to concede of, of those things and you would begin to believe something else. Why? Because you are overwhelmed by things that you see with your physical eye. And you see, the moment we begin to operate that sometimes as believers, it shows our immaturity. That we have moved away from Christ. When Paul wrote to the Galatian church, he was really, really troubled by them. He said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not a, another gospel, but there are some which come and they their desires to trouble you. They come and they teach you other things. That's why the Bible talks about Jesus being jealous. Paul said he was jealous over the Corinthian church because when someone else comes with a different teaching they easily concede to it and it shows the immaturity of the believers walk it shows the immaturity of the believer that one day they would begin to see the unsearchable riches of Christ they would begin to see the freedom and the liberty that they have received in Christ but the moment they go to a meeting the moment they go to a meeting they are overwhelmed by the things they see and they easily concede and they say, wow, because of such glam, because of such reputation, I will therefore concede that which I believe. And sometimes that is why we can never really experience the things that Christ has delivered to us because we are tossed to and fro like the wave of the sea, James says. Any wind of teaching that comes away tosses us to one direction. Then we take our time to listen to God's word. We believe, yes, that in Christ Jesus we have freedom. But then you go for a meeting and you hear, but there are such a thing as mantles. And you begin to desire the mantle and you say, I want the mantle of Elijah. The reality is you can't have the mantle of Elijah. That garment he threw it down, Elisha picked it. That garment probably has, has decayed and disintegrated <laughs> into the soil. Nice 
Praise the Lord. You can't have it. You have the Holy Spirit. That is your reality in Christ Jesus. But why do sometimes believers go and they concede to something else? Because you are moved by the glam of a meeting. Yes, you don't have to oppose outrightly. You don't have to speak outrightly and oppose it and be disruptive. But in humility, you can carry yourself with a decorum where you know, yes, I may have gone to such a meeting. I may have heard such big things, but I know what the scripture says. I know what the scripture says. We can tell you about how much Jesus loves you and affirm that beautiful reality to you and tell you, hey, listen, Jesus is really invested in your life. But then you can leave and you can go for another meeting. And when you go for another meeting, you will go there and then you will hear that God is actually offended by you and that you need to give a certain seed to redeem your family or you need a certain sacrifice to redeem your family. Yes, you have come from your meeting and you are from a church or your pastor has told you that you are free in Christ, but you are free indeed. But then you go somewhere else and you're told, hey, listen, you need to secure your generations. You need to give a certain amount of money. And then you go and do that. It shows that you are you're immature, that you can't be content with the fact that you are actually free, despite what you see happening. It doesn't mean that, the, that, that Christ has not set you free. It doesn't mean that Christ has not done his work. So don't concede to a different teaching. Stand firm in the affirmation that you have received in Christ. Stand firm in the reality of what Jesus Christ has dealt to you. And so as you give yourself to his word, you will begin to see the transformation take place in your life. You will begin to see the changes take place in your life. And I say all this to bring back the reality. If Jesus heals the brokenhearted, if he binds up the wounds, then even when, then why are people still walking brokenhearted? Why are people still wounded? It is because this word of Christ has not been brought to their forefront. They have not heard enough that Jesus is their healer. And they have not been taught enough how to receive this love or how does God really heal? And the moment we learn these things, the freedom that we experience is beautiful. The freedom that we experience is beautiful. The liberty that we experience is beautiful. And that is what God has called us to walk in. That is what God has called us to experience and to enjoy that beautiful journey of what God has called us in. So I submit to you that even as we learn about Jesus, healing the brokenhearted, binding up our wounds. It is important for us to understand what is our reality in Jesus Christ and continually affirm that reality that we have received in him, that we will not be tossed to and fro as children by any wind of doctrine that comes our way, but that we will remain consistent in the reality of what Jesus Christ has already done to us. It is a beautiful thing and it is for us to walk in that reality. Signs of spiritual immaturity is how we also move our standpoint based on seasons, based on seasons. Paul told Timothy to do the work of an, an evangelist, to be fervent, to preach the gospel in, in season and out of season. That is even when it's favorable and when it's not favorable. A sign of Christian immaturity is that when we are now in the political season, 
we now start having prophecies and we start having conversations so much centered around who's going to be the next president. It shows how immature you are. The Bible says, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth away, but the word of God will abide forever. Seasons come and go, presidents come and go. The word of Christ abides forever. The gospel remains forever. So we don't preach only uh, when it's convenient, but even during the political season, people are like, how? How comes you're not prophesying about what's going to happen in our country? How comes you're not talking so much about what's going to happen? Because it comes and goes. But the gospel of Christ remains. So when we see uh, uh, believers moved by a certain period and by a certain season, and they're so caught up in that, you have your own favorite candidate. And when your favorite candidate either becomes president, you now clearly say, see what the Lord has done. My goodness, my God is faithful. And when, you are, when the other candidate doesn't come in, you say, oh, God rejected his enemies. Well, that person who did not come in is also a candidate of salvation. Have you forgotten that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? That whosoever, 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 whether he's your favorite or not, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So I just felt I needed to share that so that we can understand how we are to remain consistent in the message. We are to remain consistent in the truth that is in Christ Jesus. I'd like to submit to you, beloved, that I have um, spiritual um, authorities, or if I would call them, senior servants of the Lord who have done great things in this land and beyond, who have done great things, people who some of them I know personally. And I mean, and whereas I know them personally, not everything they say to me passes because it has to be tested by the reality of God's word. Whereas I might not show them openly that listen, what you're saying is not true because it's a sensitive thing to correct an elder. Whereas I may not agree with them openly, it doesn't mean that I take whatever they say as gospel truth. I will honor them. I will respect them. I will accord the praise that is worthy to them. But it doesn't mean that everything that is spoken remains to be the gospel truth. So you will have to gird yourself. You have to really be mindful of what the scriptures say. So that that reality that is communicated by the word of God can be your experience. Amen. So as we talk about Jesus healing the brokenhearted, we have to understand the background. And the background is that Jesus came. First Timothy 3.16, as I read, says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. And when it says, that Jesus was manifest in the flesh, it means that he was born. That Jesus was born. He was not only born, but he lived amongst us in the flesh. He lived amongst men in the flesh. And then that he was justified in the spirit means that he was proven to be who he said he was. He was proven to to be who he said he was, and he was seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed in the world that received up to glory. 
So a background is important. Let us hear what was spoken about the coming of Jesus. Remember, I say that the proclamation of Jesus' coming was one that brought joy and celebration. There were glad tidings to hear that there is a savior that is coming. If you recall the prayer that Zechariah made in the temple while he was praying, he was celebrating to hear that the, there is a Messiah, there is hope that is coming concerning Jesus being manifest. All right? When you hear him speak about Jesus, he spoke about it in a very excited and celebratory way. You find that account in the book of Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. This is what... Um, The prophet Zechariah prayed. If you, if you read the account in the book of Luke chapter 1, uh, from uh, I think is it from verse 5, it says, um, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abir, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her, and her name was Elizabeth. And they, were uh, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all his commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because um, uh, that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. And you, you read that particular account uh, of what uh, he prayed about the birth of Jesus being foretold and how he celebrated and the different accounts, there was excitement. There was excitement. Even the testimony of Mary, the testimonies that were there, there was great excitement about the coming of Jesus. And I will not delve into all those accounts, but I will read to you something. In the book of Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the angel of the Lord appeared to the wise men and told them about Christ being born. The Bible says in Luke 2, 14, suddenly there appeared a host of angels in the heavens and they proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on the earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest and on the earth peace and goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest and on the earth peace and goodwill toward men. That was a statement that was made by the angels that praise be to God, that on the earth there it cometh peace and goodwill toward men, that the coming of Jesus promises peace and goodwill toward men. Peace and goodwill toward men. It means that Jesus is bringing to our lives peace and goodwill, good intentions, good things. That is the coming of Jesus. So if Jesus comes and he brings peace and goodwill to you the question is are we experiencing that peace and goodwill father to that the account of jesus's life that was just his birth that at the birth of jesus this was the proclamation that was made this was the proclamation that was made peace and goodwill to all men in Acts chapter 10, verse 38 to 41, 
The Bible says when Peter is giving an account, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. That God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good? So God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Jesus was anointed. And you know the account of when this happened. When Jesus went uh, to John the Baptist and John testified that he saw the Spirit of God descend as a dove. When John testified, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and his power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we know the life. We know the birth of Jesus was proclaimed that there will be peace and goodwill to all men. And we know the life of Jesus in the flesh, that he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He went about doing good. Jesus was doing good. He was healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the hungry, comforting the mourning, speaking words of life, building up people. Jesus went about doing good. He went about doing good, that every part of his life spoke volumes of his good intentions for us. Further to that, the Bible talks about his death. And if you read Isaiah 53, it says, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. This was a prophet concerning Jesus that he hath no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And one of the things I was telling people is that when the Bible gives this account of Jesus, he says he has no form, no comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire of him. That even everything that we were to experience, everything that we, we were to experience or what we have experienced, Jesus took it up upon himself. If you have never seen yourself as beautiful, if you've never seen yourself as having any form or comeliness, that there is nothing pleasant about your life, Jesus went through that so that you may not have to walk in that experience. It says, as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we shall desire him, that he is despised and rejected of men. The question is, have you been despised and rejected of men? Have you been despised and rejected? Have you? Jesus was despised and rejected of men. He's also described as a man of sorrows. Have you been sorrowful? Have you been encumbered with sorrows? Have you been sorrowful because of a loss or because of a fortunate event? Have you experienced any sorrow or grief in your life? He says, and acquainted with grief that Jesus was acquainted with grief. Have you gone through sorrow? Have you gone through grief? And then it says, and we hid as it were our faces from him. And we hid as it were our faces from him. 
The question is, have people hid their faces from you? Have you been in a place where you desired and thought that people were going to be there for you? And you thought that people were going to stand with you and you felt all alone and it was as if people hid their faces from you. Have you experienced that? Have you felt like you're all alone and by yourself? Have you been all alone and by yourself? Feeling as if people hid their faces from you. It says he was despised and we esteemed him not. Have you been despised? Have you dealt with issues of self-esteem? Have people not esteemed you as you desired? Have they not honored you or regarded you? Have you done so much for people and yet it was never really noted? It was never really recognized and people never esteemed you. It says, surely he hath borne our griefs. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Jesus has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. He has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Beautiful statement, beautiful statement. Jesus has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. That he has taken them upon himself. He has, he has had to bear with our griefs and to carry our sorrows. So if you have been sorrowful, if you have been heartbroken, Jesus has borne your griefs and he has carried your sorrows. It simply means that we have no justification to continually dwell in sorrow and in grief. There is no justification whatsoever. There is no justification whatsoever to carry this burdens and this weight because the word of God says that he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. That's how we esteemed him. Smitten of God and afflicted. That's how we saw Jesus. We saw him as one who was smitten of God and afflicted. It's a very interesting passage. That we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. In another rendering, it says, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. So we thought he deserved it. 
that he actually deserved it when he was being crucified. It was our sorrows and our pains that he carried. But people thought he was suffering because of his own sins, because he called himself God, because he blasphemed God and he was worthy of punishment that they released a murderer so that Jesus would be crucified. But when he was suffering the way he was suffering, it was my issues that he was carrying. It was my problems that he was carrying. It was Cherono's sorrow, Cherono's anger, Cherono's bitterness. It was Jenny's pain, Jenny's tears, Jenny's sorrow. It was Eve's troubles that Jesus was carrying. With every mockery, with every suffering, with every spit that came upon his face, with every disdain and disregard, every careless word that was uttered to him, every insult, everything that he went through. Every, every striking of the whip. It was our issues that weighed heavily upon him. It was our problems. That bitterness that you have carried for long, it was that weighed upon him. What must have it felt to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders? That he carried that heartbreak, that heartbreak that you have never healed from. It's now been 10 years. You're still dealing with it. That divorce, that wound that you drew from unfaithfulness, or infidelity, it was that which Jesus carried as he was being punished for our sake. It says we esteemed him stricken, that people thought he was suffering for his own account, yet it was because of us that he was suffering. We did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. That's why the word of God now says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus was wounded for my transgressions, my transgressions, my transgressions, my transgressions. It is mine, mine, my mistakes, my misgivings, my faults was the reason why Jesus was being wounded. That careless word that, I, that, that, that you utter to your spouse, that careless word that you speak to your spouse, it is because of your fault. That's nasty word. That was why Jesus was suffering. That's why Jesus was carrying that weight upon him for your transgressions, for your iniquities. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? That is, that is something that is too weighty. 
I like what the Message Bible says. It says, that we looked down on him, thought he was the scum of the earth. But the fact is, it was our pains that he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us, all the things wrong with us. Amen. Everything that is wrong with you. We thought he brought it and eat on, him, on himself. That is, we thought God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins, he took the punishment and that made us whole. Everything that was wrong with you was the very reason why Jesus suffered. Everything that was wrong with you. Everything that was wrong with you. So it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed. Oh, we are healed. Then later, it talks about how we were healed. Have you ever thought about all the issues that you have? That bad attitude everything that is wrong with us. That bad attitude that you have. It was because of that that Jesus was suffering. That he was wounded for our transgression. The Greek word is uh, for that statement for our transgression is the word pesta which means our rebellion, our rebellion, our trespasses. You know, when our hearts are hardened and we rebel and we cannot be persuaded otherwise concerning the truth, that was the reason why Jesus was being wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, our iniquities, for our iniquities. how we were living perverse and in depravity. The word is avon in the Greek. Avon in the Greek. Our guilt, our depravity and our perversity, that nature that continually is given to sin, our iniquity. Now, let me ask you, when the Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions, do you think that Jesus was only wounded physically? Don't you think there were emotions involved? Have you ever spoken a word and wounded somebody? 
Have you ever spoken carelessly and hurt somebody? And now you don't talk with that person or somebody treated you in a certain way. Maybe he, as people would like to put it, he, he disregarded you. Or in our language, we would say he showed you madharao. You felt unwanted. And now you have carried that person. You don't even want to talk to that person at all. We see it. We see it even happen here. Even Are you there? I'm on a network, young. I think you have lost him. Now, okay. Peter, we, we lost you. And, and now? Now you're back. All right, good. Oh, I'm so sorry for that. I don't know what happened. So as I was asking, what was the last thing I said? Well, asking the questions have somebody ever yes, wanted you absolutely and so what i want to paint to you today is to understand that the ordeal that jesus went through also was emotional there was mockery when he was cutting that cross and passing through those crowds what do you think people were saying do you think people were saying hey manzada guy is handsome even though he has a cross on his back do you think the guys were, that's what the guys were saying? Do you think people were blowing him kisses like and winking their eyes at him? Hey, handsome. Hey. Oof. I like his muscles. Do you think that's what people were saying? No. Or, uh, he was being mocked. He was being called names. He was like the scum of the earth. There was emotional, as we put it, emotional damage. Praise the Lord. It, have, it weighed heavy on him. People spoke nasty things. Even the Bible gives an account that there was mockery. They laughed and said, this man has, has been doing so much for people and he cannot even save himself. And yet he's the savior of the world. They mocked him. They mocked him. He was called names. And that's why I was trying to paint the picture. While we are serving God, we are hurt by one another. We are Christians, but we hurt each other. We don't like each other. We don't have favorites amongst ourselves. I talk to this one. I don't talk to that one. You know, those are the complications that come with us. We are wounded. Even when we are serving, we hurt each other. We offend each other. And now we, sometimes we exhibit arrogance. We, we do all sorts of things. Why? Because we are offended. We, are, we have been offended. We have been wounded. But yet Jesus was wounded, not only just physically, but also emotionally for your sake. All the emotional wounds, all the emotional damage that you may have ever gone through, Jesus went through it. He took it upon himself. He faced rejection. If I was to pick out the things that have been stated here about Jesus Christ, 
that he had no form, no comeliness. I know there are people here who have been wounded because of either your form or your comeliness. Your appearance has been a reason why you have been wounded. People have made comments about it. People have made statements about it. And you have been hurt. You have been hurt by that, the statement. Yet the Bible says he had no form, no comeliness. It means that that was a reason why Jesus was also hurt. It says that when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we shall desire of him. A lot of people here have been hurt based on their, uh, on their looks, that you have never felt beautiful. You've never felt handsome. You've never felt good enough about yourself. And that has been a reason for a wound, a reason for pain, a reason for you to be brokenhearted, that your appearance, your beauty has been a reason why you have been wounded before. I wish I was in a physical meeting, I would say people, has anyone here ever been hurt because of their looks? Because of how you appear? It could have even been your husband or your wife who has hurt you by how you, how you look. Jesus, the Bible says that, that it, it appears that there was no beauty that should be desired of him. That when you desired to be looked upon for your beauty, that it was never looked upon that way, that you were mocked or you were hurt because of that, your appearance. I know there are people here who have been wounded because they have been despised and rejected. You, you've been despised before. You, you can even recollect back in your memory, in your childhood, how you were despised. Maybe you and your family, you were treated in a wrong way, you were despised. And also that you've been rejected. You've been rejected of men, rejected of men. I can be sure there are people here who have been rejected of men. Many of us here have been rejected of men. I can be sure that we have dealt with sorrows. I can be sure we have been acquainted with grief, that we have gone through grief. I can be sure that people have hid their faces from you. When you thought they were going to, to be there for you, they have hid their faces from you. And that has hurt you. That has hurt you. It has wounded you. People have hid their faces from you. I have a brother of mine who opened a church. And you might open a church and you might think that you're going to have members and the members are going to be your friends. And then all of a sudden you realize that even your own relatives do not come to your church. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's a funny one. Cherono, Cherono, you can open a church <laughs> and you discover your husband is not a member. Praise God. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. You can open a church, you, you know, and you discover even, even your own children are not your members. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You get that example that I'm giving. I didn't mean specifically anything to do like with uh, Cherona and her husband specifically. I was just using a blanket example. So don't, don't misunderstand me. Yeah. Billy Sawo, you can open a church and your wife is not, is not a member. Praise God. <laughs> I know. I know, a, I know a serious servant of God. And we had fellowship with him. And, I, 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 and you know, somebody can tell you, you know, my, my wife has not been in church for the past five years and you're still serving God. So you can face that kind of rejection. 
you can actually face it. And that's why I think the Bible is such an amazing book. When you read this statement of Isaiah 53, it is a classical material that I think can also be, be used for even for psychotherapy. Because many of the things that are listed here, I don't know if, uh, if uh, Leah is in this meeting, uh, if, if Leah is in this meeting, but she can testify. These cases that are mentioned here, these are grounds for a lot of mental health issues, a lot of, a lot of issues in people's character and personality. They stem from this kind of experiences. These experiences are not new to men. That as a matter of fact, beloved, people have been despised and they have been rejected. And even in marriage, you can be despised and you can be rejected. It says, it was as if people hid their faces from him. I can tell you, I have spoken to some of those pastors who have opened a church and it's like people have hid their faces from them. Praise the Lord. People have hid their, it's like you, you're trying to wonder, we did a launch and we had 100 people, but all of a sudden we have, I have three members. Oh, you have five members and you are counting your wife in that number. And then you're counting the keyboardist, praise the Lord, that your church consists of you, yourself, your wife, and then the, the people who are doing ministry, the keyboardist who you are paying, who is there because you're paying him. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> and even ministry hearts, even ministry hearts, as if people have hid their faces from you, you're doing the work of God. Oh, if there are any pastors here, please hear this. You are doing the work of God. But that work of God is what is hurting you, just like Jesus. Jesus was, when he was being mocked, when he was being um, wounded, when he was being hurt, when Jesus was going through the things he was going through, he was doing the work of God. He was laying down his life for the whole world. He was in service. And Jesus was being hurt while he was in service. He was being hurt while he was serving. He was in service. He was doing ministry. He was ministering to all of us when he was carrying away our sorrows. And he was being hurt while doing ministry. While serving, he was being hurt. You can be doing the right thing. You can be doing the work of God. And there, while you're doing it, you're being wounded and you're being hurt. I know of a brother who opened a church and he, while he was doing the work of God, some of his closest friends came and told him, why don't you just shut it down and go and join somebody else? Because this thing doesn't seem to be working. And he was hurt because also his closest friends, they thought they would believe in his dream. But they never did. I love a brother, one of, one of my closest friends is a, um, he's an um, he's an entrepreneur who is in agribusiness and he makes products. And there was a time he told me a statement that was very funny. He told me, "I would have been mad at you because one of the things he does is he makes dry uh, dry fruit uh, dried fruit uh, snacks. They are dried fruit snacks like dried mangoes, uh, dried oranges snacks. And those particular snacks are consumed mostly by the Asian community." So he told me, if my business, 
if my friends were supposed to be my customers, I would not have an African customer. I, all my friends will only be Indians and Chinese people because they're the ones who consume my products. Praise the Lord. He says they're the only ones who buy his products, but his own friends don't buy his products. His products are for a niche market, but we don't buy them. We don't, when was the last time you bought uh, dried mango fruits from a shelf in Carrefour? So he said something, he said, then I would have been offended because I would have expected that my people would be the first customers, but no, they're not. And if you look at the life of Jesus, the Bible says it was as if people hid their faces from him. People hid their faces from him. That is, that is something very, 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 very deep. In the New Living Translation, it says he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. Have people turned their backs on you and looked the other way? Have people turned their backs on you and looked the other way? When you thought that they would be there for you, when you thought that they would actually be present for you, when you were in your greatest place of need, and they turned their backs away from you. Just think about that. That was the life of Jesus. That people turned their backs away from him. Then it says that he was despised and we esteemed him not. That Jesus was, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him. In the, in, the, in the message Bible, it says that there was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over a man who suffered, who knew pain fast and one look at him and people were turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is it was our pains he carried. My goodness, if you've ever been through any of these experiences, I want to let you know that Jesus endured it so that he can be the one who can carry it away for our sake. That we don't have to be overcome by these things, that our identity doesn't have to be shaped by these experiences. He went through it so that these things, when you go through them, you can find a way out. I'm not saying that he went through it so that you don't have to go through it. You may go through rejection. You may go through sorrows. You may go through grief. You may go through rejection. People may fail you and they may turn their faces away from you. But because Jesus went through it, you don't have to be overcome by these things because there's a way out. There's a way out for you. There's a way out for you. Because he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. That he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. It says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of our soul. He didn't deserve it, but he took upon him the iniquity of our soul. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth, and he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Um, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Just listen to that. Not only did he suffer, but he was cut off, literally. Like, man, he died, and guys were like, ah, just die, you guy. You guy, die. You know the way when you're a Christian and uh, you become too, um, too, shall I call it too, I don't know which is the right expression, but you become too spooky. When you see a mosquito, you just tell it, die, 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 die. You know, everything, die, die, die. Huh? So it's like Jesus was dying, and very few people were really mourning about him. Like some people did not really care. You know what, he's died. It's another crucifixion. Yay, move on to your life. People went and had supper that evening. Man, that level of rejection is the worst. Can you, can you, can you imagine being rejected and people not really caring about you? And then even when you die, some people are celebrating your death. Yani, you are the scum of the earth. Nobody cares about you. That is the deepest kind of pain that anyone would ever go through. And no one deserves to be rejected that way. Naturally, we are relational beings. We, we love to be loved. We enjoy the attention. We enjoy being affirmed. Even when we pretend like we don't like it, deep down, we always yearn for that acceptance, to belong. And this is what Jesus went through when people turned away from him. This is the life, this is the death of Jesus. It says he was cut off out of the land of the living. Then it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. We're in Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Then it says this, I like this, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That he will see the fruit of his suffering and he will be satisfied. Why Jesus went through it all, why Jesus was willing to go through it all is because he knew, is because he knew the pain that you will go through, there will be a room for you to heal. There will be room for you to walk in liberty. There will be room for you to walk in freedom and for that sake, for that vision that he had of you, walking free from bondage. Ah, Jesus said, for that I will go through it. For that I will go, I will go through it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For that I will go through it. I am willing to go through it. For that sake, I'm willing to go through it. And you know, that same attitude is what also sometimes gives us the biggest inspiration as ministers of the gospel. It's what gives us the biggest inspiration to continue doing what we do. Because when you look at somebody and you see them thrive, 
you are like, for this reason, I will continue preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. I will continue preaching it. Man, I will continue preaching it. I like using this example, and I know she doesn't take it wrongly. I celebrate when I see Cherona serving the Lord. I celebrate when I see her doing the meetings. I celebrate. <laughs> I celebrate. I celebrate. Because I know, I know the first time I saw Cherono. And now when we see her, oh my goodness, there's reason to celebrate. When you see somebody quoting scriptures, preaching the gospel, you get inspiration. You say, for if if this if for this, for this I will continue. For this I will continue. Because you see how somebody, God is using somebody powerfully, and you're like, oh Lord, thank you that you can use somebody this way because the enemy intended something for wrong. He intended, he had a wrong intention over someone's life, but now you see the glory and the goodness of God manifested in someone's life. And you say, oh, this is enough inspiration for me to do this. So Jesus saw the glory that was beyond the cross. And so he endured it and went through the shame for your sake. That vision was too good to let it go. If God was able to show us the vision of someone's life when we, when we are handling them in their worst, and he was able to show us the beauty that comes out of their life, oh my goodness, we will have joy and reason to celebrate. Because we can see now the beauty that comes out of it. And Jesus himself, he saw the beauty that could come out of your life. So we have no reason to continually be wounded. We have no reason. There is a way out. There is a way out. And time sometimes might be a factor before we come to grip with making a decision to move out of that prison of pain, that prison of bondage, that prison of heartache. But there is a way out. And that by his burial, when Jesus was buried, the Bible says in Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who was raised, who raised him from the dead. That having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. That is, you were buried with Jesus. You were buried with Jesus in the baptism of death. That everything that is wrong with you was buried. The way we like to say, um, who are the good Swahili speakers? We say, what do we say? Something. How do you Yes. Kaburi la sahau. Listen to that statement. Thank you, Nelly. That you were buried with him, that everything that was wrong with you, iliwekwa kwa kaburi la sahau, that he was buried in the grave of, I don't know, in the grave to be forgotten about. To be forgotten about. Do you see that you were buried with him? Do you see that you were buried with him? Do you, do you realize that you were buried with him? 
And that is the reality of the passion of Christ. That there was a burial. You see, with every part of his life, his birth, his life on the earth, his crucifixion, his burial, that is his death, his burial, and that his resurrection, they all speak to your life. They all speak benefits to your life. In that he was buried, you were buried with him. All, everything that is wrong with you was buried with him. And so until you identify with the reality of his burial, until you identify with the reality of his death, we will still be continually resurrecting our issues time and time again. We will be resurrecting our issues time and time again. We will glory in those things that are wrong in our lives. We will continually speak about them and we will identify with them but they will be part of our identity. But the moment we identify that we have been buried with him, then we have the victory and the power to walk in the newness of life. Romans 6, verse 3 to 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. We were buried, therefore, with him by being immersed. Don't think of baptism as a very big word. It is immersion. It was immersion. You see, baptism is immersion, baptizo, that you are completely immersed in. That's why when we baptize people, it's basically a conscience. It's to help our conscience to understand the reality of the new birth, that you were totally immersed into the grave, that you actually died with him. This is the same thing that the world tries to emulate through occultic systems where people are buried and then they wake up and they say that they are now new beings. It is a baptism, but now as we were baptized with him into death so that now when we are alive, we are walking in the newness of life. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into, in, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order, that, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. We too might walk in the newness of life we too might walk in the newness of life. We too might walk in the newness of life. Amen. There is a newness of life that is laid ahead of us, beloved. There is a newness of life. And that is why I don't compromise on the fundamentals of the Christian faith. I don't compromise. I might not be the most cordial believer if you ever come and try to take away from the finished work of Jesus Christ. I don't. I don't yield. It doesn't matter what your standing or your position is. That I will never bow to. 
because you can never rob people of the reality and the freedom that Jesus has already delivered to them. It doesn't matter if you've been doing ministry for 30, 40 years. It doesn't matter if you've been doing ministry for 30 and 40 years. You cannot come and lie to God's people. That there are still things in their lives that have dominated them, that Satan still has a foothold over their life. They died with Christ and they've been raised in the newness of life. Even if they don't seem to be experiencing it, they need to be taught. It is their reality. They need to learn about it. They need to learn about it. They need to learn about it. My heart bleeds when I see believers casually taking these things. When people are taught the grace of Christ, the grace of God that delivers them, the Bible says in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching them that denying ungodliness and worldly passions, they should live sober, upright, and godly lives in this present world, looking unto the glorious return of their great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for them, that he might purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. Well, the Bible says the grace of God has appeared and it has brought deliverance to men. The grace of God has appeared and it has delivered freely freedom, justification, victory, acceptance, love to men. How dare we come and try and tell those people that they do not qualify for God's love? That one, we don't take it lightly. Paul says in the book of Galatians, even when he was met the people who were advocating for circumcision, that he would not yield even a moment to them. He would not yield even for a moment to them. He would not yield, not even for a moment, he would not yield that the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ might be preserved. That is why we do not yield. We do not yield, beloved. We do not yield even for a moment. You have the spirit of God in you. You have the Holy Ghost inside of you. Even for a moment, we do not yield to the very fact that the power of God lies in a product in a bottle called Olivia or Batoli. Do you hear me? Some of you don't get the jokes. For a moment, I do not yield to accept that for you to operate in your life, you need the oil that we use to cook in the kitchen to be poured on you for you not to be able to operate in the things of God. No, it was made by a man. It, had an ex it has an expiry date. The power of God does not lie in that product. Do you hear me? It does Amen. not lie. So we do not yield to this. We, we do not yield. It does not lie in Batoli. I don't know if there's any other anointing. I don't know another olive oil. Maybe Kunangine Naitwa Kamafuta. Or I don't know which brand. It does not lie in that thing. It does not lie in that thing. You can never yield to those things. You can never be deceived that way. Your destiny does not lie in a jacket that Peter Chalo wears and then it picks sweat. And it is washed by parcel. And then you call that a mantle. Something that was sown by even somebody who doesn't believe in, the, in God, probably, for commercial purposes. It cannot be that way. We cannot be that ignorant, beloved. So there are certain things that we don't yield to at any given moment. We do not yield even for a moment. We uphold the truth and the verities of Christ. 
Because Jesus carried these burdens for his people. He carried these burdens for his people. He carried it for you. He went through all that mockery, that shame, that pain just for you, for it to be delivered freely until men try to complicate it. Beloved, I wish to submit to you that a currency note that has the face of a lion or an elephant, or maybe it has the, it has the face of a man, is not the license for your freedom. It cannot be the license for your freedom. Unrighteous mammon. Money cannot be the license for your freedom. It cannot Amen. be the license for your liberty. Unrighteous mammon. Something that has passed in the hands of men. Something that is full of germs and dirty. Cannot be the license for your liberty. It is with the precious blood of the lamb without blemish or spot. Hallelujah. It is with the precious blood of the lamb. So whether, when, you, when, when, you, when you have a lot of burdens in your heart, when you have a lot of pain, you've gone through grief and sorrow, or you've gone through misfortunes in your life, Jesus went through them so that you can understand that they are not making you any disadvantage, but that there's freedom and liberty for you in Christ. That you don't have to go seeking for solutions time and time again, spending your money or wasting your resources or being manipulated or deceived. I'll give you guys an example, an example that you can all relate with. When SOV started, many of you were probably not there. The early days of SOV, many of you were probably not there. But if you can ask Pastor Gloria, you can ask Pastor Dorothy, you can ask them. Before the enlightenment to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ for what it is, there used to be a lot of deliverance. When SOV used to do its Nairobi conference in Lynette's apartment, <laughs> praise the Lord. God is faithful, say amen. <laughs> the conference used to happen in Lynette's apartment. Praise the Lord. In Lina's apartment, and as they grew, there used to be a lot of deliverance. The moment the gospel started being taught, let me ask you guys, how many of you, how many, what, when was the last time you saw deliverance in our meetings? The SOV meetings, when was the last time you saw deliverance? When was the last time you saw, and I'm calling it deliverance, I'm using the word casually because deliverance is salvation. Or let me use the, the word, casting out of devils. When was the last time you saw casting out of devils in the meetings? See, do, you see it, do you see it frequently? No, no. no it's... No. Absolutely, beloved. Beloved, you can, there can never be a ministry that has casting out devils every Sunday. Every Sunday, and it's the same members. There is something wrong. It can never be the truth. That is not the truth. That is not the verities of the scriptures. When Jesus, look, when Jesus cast out devils, he didn't cast out devils from a believer. They were not from a believer. The, de the, the demoniac of Gerasins and the people that Jesus was praying for, there's barely accounts where 
demons were being cast out of believers. It can't be that a ministry is functioning and there's always casting out of devils. No, when the word of God is taught, when the word of God is taught, when the word of his grace is taught, the Bible says the word of his grace is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. His word is life. His word brings healing. When the Bible says you sent your word and you healed my disease, these words bring comfort. When his word is being taught, people experience the freedom and the liberty. They experience what has already been given to them. It becomes their reality in Christ. So when we hear the word of his grace, if you hear it enough, and that is why I, 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 people have to grow because you have to hear about the grace of Christ. You have to hear about the gospel consistently. Consistently. You don't come here, you hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the moment you leave here, you go and now you start pursuing mantles out there. That is ignorance. So you're tossing, you're going to and fro, to and fro, to and fro. So you're confused. One moment you are forming the reality and the identity that you have in Jesus Christ, another moment you fell off the horse and now you're believing some wrong things. And so your life is always is constantly moving to and fro. Beloved, we, you, cannot be, you cannot be in Christ and you have an intimate relationship with the Holy Ghost and you are still dealing with the same heartbreaks from 10 years ago, 15 years ago. The Holy Ghost has told you, he has shown you and he wants to heal you in that area, but you have stuck there. Why? Because the word of God is not transforming your mind. The word of God is not changing your confession and your attitude. But the beautiful thing is Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. And even when you're brokenhearted and when you're wounded, he does not fault you for it, but he loves you and he cares for you. And it is not your fault. It's one of the things we have to emphasize. It is not your fault. But as we undertake this journey, we will learn how God does his healing work. I may not finish everything now because there's still much more that I would probably want to share and take my time on it. And I will do that if uh, God permits uh, in the days to come this week, tomorrow and probably another day. But I, I would like to bring to your attention that Jesus went through all these things so that we can have the ability to identify with Christ. Time and time again, I speak to believers. I, I, I ask them questions. I ask them practical questions about even their prayer life. There's somebody who used to love praying and used to say, I destroy every altar. I destroy every altar. I asked that person, please, uh, I want you to help me understand that. What is an altar? I asked them, what is an altar? What is an altar? And the, I just told the person, do you know what an altar is? So if it's an altar, for example, you call it the altar of Satan or the altar of alcoholism in someone's life, where did we get that language? Where did we get that prayer language where we like to use such words? That I... I destroy every altar. I destroy that. An altar is a place of sacrifices. Where 
did we get that language? You see, we borrow things from the Old Testament and we carry them into the New Testament. And now that becomes even part of our, part of our prayer language. It becomes part of our prayer language. So sometimes we ask this question, we try to say, hey, listen, listen, you have to see Jesus. You have to see Christ. You have to see Jesus, you have to see Christ. Another thing that I always like to tell people and they need to understand, the Bible never calls us to, we can learn and we can borrow from the lessons of many people, but the ultimate identifier is Jesus. The ultimate parallel is Jesus. Your life has to identify with Jesus. Your life has to identify with Jesus. It doesn't identify with David. It doesn't identify with Samson. It only identifies with Jesus. You can see portions from their lives, but it can never be identified with them. They were men of like passions. They all looked towards the manifestation of Jesus, towards the coming of Christ. He is the gold standard if there's such a thing and only Jesus alone. Praise the Lord. So we have to sometimes um, teach people these things so that we can actually correct people. There's no way that I can say I am going in the spirit of Samson. There is no such a thing. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I, I never. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. Because it's only the spirit of yeah. the Lord. Amen. That's true. That's so, true. I know of a cult. A friend of mine was in a cult where they would begin to beat some drums and then when they would possess, they would say Samson and then they would begin to head back the wall and punch the wall. And they said, that's the spirit of Samson. That was deception. <laughs> they, would, they, would, they would hug a coconut tree and begin to bang it with their head, saying the spirit of You see, where did we get these things? Where did we get these things? You know, I say this with so much discretion, but I, I, I can clearly show you. Listen, the generation that we have right now is the generation of the sons of God, period. You, I, and I say this with so much discretion, you are not the generation of Esther. You get it? We are not King David's generation. I cannot open a ministry and call it King David's generation because we are not King David. He lived and he died. Even Jesus himself said, we know where his grave is. We know where these guys' graves are. We know where their graves were. When the apostles were preaching, they said, these people's graves are here with us. You, 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 you get the point. We cannot, only with Christ can we identify because he's the one that carried your sorrows and he borne your griefs. He's the one that indeed was offered for you. We are not for the Abraham's generation. The Bible can only say that Abraham also had faith in God. He believed in God. So Jesus said, he saw my day and he celebrated. Abraham paid reverence and honor to Jesus. So the Bible clearly states that Abraham saw Christ's day and he celebrated in that prophetically by having faith in God, 
and being counted as righteous, it was a type and shadow of how God would justify us, not based on our works, but based on our faith in God. That's what the Bible says. And likewise, we are also children of faith with Abraham. But it doesn't mean that we now are identifying as Father Abraham's generation. No, it's just giving an example. But we are that chosen generation, a royal priesthood, called forth to show the glorious works of God because we are born again. We are the sons of God. And so as we are learning about this subject of healing, healing can never come into your heart until you identify with Jesus Christ. Until you identify with Jesus Christ, it can never be your reality. It can never be our testimony. We can never understand the weight of him healing the brokenhearted until we identify with him, until we understand the kind of sorrows, the kind of rejection, the kind of pain that Jesus Christ went through to know that there is a way out because he went through that. Now he sees the fruit of his travail. He sees the travail of his soul and he's satisfied. Why? Because now when we are wounded, Jesus can bind up our broken heart because now we are candidates of acceptance. Whereas we may have been rejected, now we have acceptance into the godly family, into God's family. We have acceptance. We stand in a place of undeserved privilege. We are accepted in the beloved. Because of Jesus, where we might have been despised, now we have been given a name. The Bible says he chose those things which were not so glorious, things that were despised in this world, to shame the wise. That means the Lord is the lifter of our heads. It means he takes us out from the dust and from the dunghill and causes us to sit with the kings of the earth to the thrones of glory. Why? Because he has now called us a royal priesthood. Everything that worked against you, now with Christ, he has given you an identity that is contrary to that. An identity that is new. For your tears, he's now brought in joy. For the troubles, he's now given you his peace. And so healing has to be in light of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And until we identify with Christ, we might never be able to experience the power of God to heal. I've done a lot of men's programs and one of the things that I always felt that lacked when we did those programs is the introduction of Christ. We would go for camps and uh, if we always compromise on really unveiling Christ, people would never really be touched in their hearts to really understand the love that the power of the Holy Ghost brings when we believe in Jesus. So beloved, Jesus loves you. And the Bible says, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. It says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, 
and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He made intercession for the transgressors. He made intercession. When the Bible says he made intercession, it doesn't mean that Jesus is somewhere praying. There's a woman who came and said, you know, the Lord gave her a vision. And in that vision, she saw Jesus kneeling on the right hand of God. And he was asking God, mercy, 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 mercy. Don't punish them. Don't punish them, God. But that's not true. When the Bible says he maketh intercession, it means that he, it's the action of intervening. It's the action of intervening in that he made a mediation. He's the mediator. He made a mediation and brought us to a place of reconciliation with our father. But now we are justified. There is no fault and no accusation against you, no condemnation against you because of the intercessory ministry of Jesus Christ, that he interceded on your behalf. He intervened and brought us to a place of liberty and freedom. Beloved, I would love to say this. There is healing and there is great healing in Christ Jesus. He heals the brokenhearted. And as God permits, I will share with you how God does that healing. And I would also want to explain to you why the Bible is specifically talking about the heart. And I know that God will really bless us as we open ourselves to him to learn of his goodness, to learn of the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Because God was concerned about the heart and he's deeply concerned about your heart. It doesn't matter what you may have been through. God's love is greater than your deepest pain. His acceptance is greater than your deepest rejection. His peace is greater than your worst troubles. He's greater than anything that you could have ever gone through. And he's calling for you to embrace the reality of his love and grace so you can experience the healing that you so deeply need in your heart. I say this knowing very well that I am speaking to believers. But it is also because the children of God sometimes never experience the beautiful liberty that they have in Christ. They never walk in that freedom and that joy of salvation. But we have to continually emphasize these things so that this can be your reality in Christ. Jesus loves you so much. You are everything that matters to him. And he's concerned about every single detail of your life today. Every single detail of your life today. Walk with that understanding that he is rejoicing over you. He is pleased in you and he loves you deeply. And I know we will learn more and more and his word of his grace will continue to build you up and help you to see the place of healing that God has brought into your life. I will share more with you on why the heart and also how God works. And I know that it will really bless you and bring you to a deep place of understanding. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I thank you for everyone that is here. I bless you because the reality is you heal the brokenhearted and you bind up their wounds. And this is why you came. This is why you came, Lord Jesus. I bless you and I thank you because this is why you came. For your word says that the spirit of the Lord, as Isaiah spoke, is upon you, Jesus, because the Lord anointed you to preach good tidings unto the meek. And that he sent you to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound. I thank you because this is the reality of the believer in Christ Jesus and that no amount of deception or teaching should ever cause us to draw back. We have freedom in Christ and it is ours for the taking. And I bless you, Lord, because you know your children's hearts. You know those that have gone through divorce. You know, those that have gone through abuse. You know, those that have gone through exploitation. You know, every amount of pain, every amount of wound, every amount of discouragement, despising, shame. You know, every experience that everyone has gone through. And Lord, with every experience, your love is ever richly present to bring healing to your people. Father, I pray that as you minister to your people, as they look deep into their hearts, you will show them places and areas where we have kept the treasure of pain. Places where we have kept the treasure of heartaches, the treasure where we have hidden the treasures of bitterness. Because those are the things that we have held on to and that you are able to heal. Father, even as we continue in this ongoing journey of our walk in faith, Sometimes people may be wounded. Sometimes people may be treated wrongly. But I pray that no amount of bitterness will take root in their hearts, therefore causing them to be defiled. But rather, Lord, your grace will permeate through the depths of their hearts and cause them to enjoy the liberty that you have so richly brought upon them. Just like Jesus who despised the cross, endured the shame and suffering because he saw the joy that was laid ahead of him. The joy was us. Father, I pray that this joy may be manifest in everyone's life. Let us know how much we are loved. Help us to know how much we are cared for. Help us to know that we all matter, that our life counts, and that each and every one is significant before you. I bless you because your affirmation is greater than men, that you have the final say concerning everyone's life. Lord, let everyone manifest the beauties of your riches and, and, and grace that are poured into their hearts today. I bless you, Jesus, and I thank you. For it is in your holy and precious name I pray. Amen. 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 I, I, I trust you're all blessed, and, and uh, uh, I hope that I can get to finish on this uh, series in a couple of days. Uh, also in joining my beloved wife to share the same because it's something that God has put into our heart and I know that God will heal many of us or even start that process of helping us recognize areas that we need healing. So I bless God for all of you and I appreciate you and I would like to hand over to the very well able Major Major Lena Cherono uh, to take us through the other session, other part of the session, or if we need to close. Sharon, over to you.
All right. I, I can see that Sharona is, is all, is she there? Or she's dropped off a meeting? Okay. Maybe um, before we close, I would ask if anyone has any, um, has any question, you could uh, please share a question um, or any comment or contribution to the same so that we can move on after this. Please feel free. There's a question in the chat. Oh, all right, somebody is saying a uh, comment on, unless the believer is not really acting as a believer, hence still entertaining evil, so being accessible by evil spirits. Um, what I would say is this. Um, based on Bible evidence, based on Bible evidence, uh, and based on the, what we understand to be the truth of God's word, we cannot be the temple of the Holy Spirit and we are possessed of the devil. I believe that can never happen. And when we hear of Jesus casting out devils from people and things like those, there were people who had not received first and foremost salvation. This was casting out devils from them. They were oppressed of the devil. First and foremost, it's good to understand that. Secondly, when Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou severest not the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus was not saying that Peter was possessed because there's no evidence of that. Rather, it was the thoughts that Peter thought. It was the thoughts that Peter thought. The thoughts that were working contrary to God's will because Peter was working against the resurrection. And if you want to see the persistence that happened, not only did Jesus rebuke Peter, about it father to that peter went ahead and removed his knife and cut one of the soldiers still opposing the crucifixion why he, where he thought he was doing the right thing it was not the right thing it was not the right thing so it was the thoughts the speech that he gave that jesus said it is not of god but it is of the enemy because the enemy is the one who would work against the salvation of mankind. So we don't have any biblical references where we can boldly say that first and foremost, believers are possessed of Satan. That's number one. Number two, when we talk about evil spirits and we talk about people opening doors to uh, evil spirits, one of the closest explanations that people have tried to give is that people can actually be depressed or oppressed people can be depressed or people can be oppressed by evil entities and it's not really something that we have to really look at in a very complicated way the absence of the peace of god the absence of the joy of salvation when someone is suicidal when someone is operating in a manner that seems unhealthy of course that can only be pointed towards the work of Satan, the work of Satan. And the oppression of Satan um, happens in people's lives 
not just based on also like you know the way people want to think about it in a spooky and spiritual manner but even even through words please understand this when the holy ghost is inside of you when you have the spirit of god when you speak you speak the words of life are we together you speak the words of life when your when your mind is renewed your speech is seasoned with grace it's seasoned the bible says it's seasoned with soul so you minister grace to the hearers in the same way when you give room to satan's devices the words you speak you confess things that are not in line with god's word you speak things that hurt others and that brings a level of depression a level of stress and a level of oppression in people's lives even through the words through our conduct we see those things being manifest so yes indeed people can be oppressed of the devil they can be oppressed of the devil um and oppression in itself is brought by demons but it doesn't mean that now that person is possessed of the devil i want people to understand this because this is what happens people when they believe that they they there's actually spiritual entities that are operating in their life their first resolve is to look for every deliverance minister that they think is there to come and pray for them because they think their life will be fine the word of god is the first place that we turn to the moment someone is given to the word of the word of his grace when someone is given to the word of god you begin to see the transformation happen in their lives you begin to see the change that happens in their lives yes you can be prayed for but even if you're prayed for and you don't invest in the word that mind is not renewed therefore you can never prove god's will i have a sermon called proving god's will for those who have had it is part 1 and part 2 um and i can touch on proving god's will probably in some of these sessions it's a very interesting teaching uh about proving god's will that will really help you understand so when you cannot when you don't have god's word you cannot be able to prove god's will so you will easily find the choices in your life the confessions in your life the decisions in your life are not in line with god's will and so you end up facing the consequences of them and people say that they are bound they are oppressed of satan it is because of that lack of understanding that people feel that always it has to be a spiritual entity and that they they have the only remedy to that is for them to be prayed for so that these things can be broken from their lives no the word of god is enough the word of god is even called a hammer that crushes the word of god is able to cause you to walk in the liberty that you so greatly desire so yes people can be oppressed but the remedy is not going for a deliverance meeting please understand the word deliverance is actually tied to salvation deliverance happened the day you believed in jesus christ deliverance happened the day you believed in jesus christ which means that even if you have you're going through certain uh, situations in your life you are not possessed of the devil i can see what jack is writing is oppression brought by demons at possession absolutely not that is far from the truth you are not owned by satan i like what alice mutuma said there possession speaks ownership no and please get these things uh, out of your mind we have to understand first and foremost deliverance is salvation deliverance is not casting out devils casting out devils is casting out devils there is casting out devils but deliverance is salvation 
That's why the Bible when it talks about your salvation, that you were purchased. You, don't, you are not your own. Haven't you read that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7? When it talks about your body being the temple of the Holy Ghost, it says you, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to God. You're God's possession. You are God's possession. So how can you be God's possession in your own by the devil? Are we together? So when 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 people um <clears throat> Uh, as you're saying, Jackie, uh, you're asking the situation of an unbeliever oppressed, hence possessed. When someone is not a believer, yes, they can be possessed of the devil, but not all non-believers are also possessed of the devil. Please understand that. Not all of them are possessed of the devil. That it necessitates for them to have demons cast out of them. Please understand, it's not always like that. Some of them can just hear the word of God and they get born again and their life is beautiful. Some of them are just self-righteous people. They're not born again. They think they are fine. They don't need God. And they can hear the word of God and they are set free. But then there are those who are possessed. And when they are possessed, it's not supposed to be such a big activity. You cast out those devils and you move on. You move on to teach them the word of God. You move on to disciple them. You move on to disciple them. So that is the most important uh, part of a believer's life, that they need to learn and they need to grow. And that's why I give that example. In any teaching ministry where the word of God is being taught, the gospel of Christ is being taught, you will never see these theatrics that you see in other churches. As a matter of fact, let me share with you guys a testimony to help you understand something. Um, he, uh, many years ago when I was younger in my faith, I used to think that if I go for a meeting and demons manifest, it's a testament to my power. Until one day I realized that he's actually not. And let me explain why. I realized that pattern. Every time we went and preached in a meeting, especially if you go to most of these uh, school missions, when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and now you make an uh, what we usually call an altar call, or you make a call for people to receive salvation. Then you start seeing demons manifest. Uh, people used to say, hey, that's the power of God, hallelujah. That's the power of God, hallelujah. No, there was a time I did that. I called people to get born again. When they came forward, they started falling down and they were manifesting devils. And it disrupted the meeting. And the Holy Ghost revealed to me, these demons are bringing all this pandemonium and chaos so that these people don't get born again. Can you believe how cheeky the devil can be? He's bringing the pandemonium and the chaos so that people cannot get born again. They cannot receive salvation. So there's somebody who wanted to receive Christ, but all of a sudden their attention is taken away. I've seen this happen even in crusades. I was in a crusade in uh, Charles Cremoy's village. I was preaching somewhere. And I remember when we were preaching, when it came time for the altar call, two women began to fight in a crusade. They began to fight. Everyone took off to watch the fight. They did not get born again. So it's also important for us to understand. So why do some people, yes, they are really, really, really uh, oppressed of Satan. They're those who are possessed. And we pray for them and they find freedom and liberty. They find freedom and liberty. We cast out those devils and we move on from that. It doesn't become the main event. We move on from that. And when we have this understanding, when we realize, listen, casting out devils, 
is part of the believer's life and it's not supposed to be a big event. The only reason why it appears to be a big event is because we have grown in a superstitious culture where Satan has been glorified more than Jesus. So when we see devils cast out, we now realize, oh, Kumbe, we have power more than Satan. Now it becomes a big event. So I think it's so important for us to take that understanding to heart and to know that Jesus um, indeed has come to set free. Um, I can see more thoughts that are being shared. Um, uh, uh, Dorothy said, in fact, there are very few cases of possession. Possession implies a lack of self-will or control or simply that another entity is totally in control of one's will and actions. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Pastor Dorothy. So indeed, as you say, Jackie, many have misinterpreted the scripture. It is true. We have actually misinterpreted even the word deliverance. When we say we are a deliverance ministry, it's a beautiful thing. If your ministry is called deliverance, that's the most beautiful thing because deliverance is salvation. So it is a ministry that proclaims salvation. And salvation is that uh, liberty to the captives. It is that liberty to the captives is the recovering of sight to the blind. It is indeed that. And the liberty is from sin. The freedom is from sin. And so Jesus Christ has delivered that for the believer. Amen. We are free and we have to continue proclaiming that. And that's why I was very particular. I, and I wish to bring this to attention. Even if you live here and you go for another meeting that is so big, you have packed a whole stadium. And the preacher is telling you that you need to go there for deliverance. Please stand by God's word. It doesn't matter. Don't be carried away by these things because I know it's sometimes a, a challenge for many young believers. They get carried away. The affirmations of the scriptures remain intact. They don't change. The reality of Jesus remains intact. It does not change. The only gap is the knowledge. The more you are acquainted with the word of his grace, the Bible says, but grow in grace, which is the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The moment you grow more and more in that knowledge, the more you experience the beauty and the liberty that Christ has already delivered for you. So setting free is free from the bondage of sin. Not necessarily saying free from possession. Amen. Please, there were, maybe somebody wanted to give a comment or a contribution. Please feel free. Hi, Pastor Peter. Can, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Tricia. Awesome. I, I really love what you, you've taught today. Uh, I'm very edified. Thank you very much uh, for your obedience to come and teach. I just wanted to add on what you're saying because I I know a lot of us suffer because of that lack of knowledge, and uh, it it is it is good that you're opening up our eyes to you know ask ourselves the serious questions like if you are a fully believing Christian who is uh, full of the Holy Spirit, where is this demon finding a space to possess you? Where is he sitting? Because if your heart is full of the Holy Spirit, the one true God and who does not share his, his glory with anyone. You know, like, how do they stay in the same body? And it is, it is important for us to understand that knowledge is what gets us uh, free. You know, you, 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 you stay free because you know who you are. You know where you stand. You know whose you are. And a demon 
it's always lies. Yani, <laughs> the way they say that the, the Satan is the father of all lies, it is true. They usually just sell you that lie. Oh, you're possessed. Oh, you these things just don't happen like that. There must be some power behind it. And you buy it because you do not have the knowledge of saying, you know, I, I have the Holy Spirit in me. There is no way a demon can take possession of me because I'm already full. There is no space for anything else apart from the Lord that has saved me. He is already in me. When you take salvation, it is taking Christ and the Holy Spirit taking his temple. It is the day you cast out any demon that was there. The day you say, yes, I do to Christ. You are now fully possessed by Christ, fully possessed by the Holy Spirit. There is no demon who can stand the presence of God. So the Holy Spirit is full. You are full of the Holy Spirit inside your heart. So where does the devil or the demon find a space to, you know, hang on to? So when we are getting uh, oppressed or depressed or it is just a thought that you have entertained in your head because of lack of knowledge. You do not know that once I am full of the Holy Spirit, there is no room for sickness. There is no room for depression. There is no room for all these other things because the person who is my joy, who is my salvation, who, <coughs> sorry, who is my providence is already in me. So there is no day I can, I can, I can wake up in the morning and start casting out demons that I don't have. And it is true when Pastor Pete is saying that the, the devil loves taking the show. I, I, I seriously have a problem with opening up the TV and you want to watch some, some, some nice uh, preaching and you find a pastor has taken his whole pulpit eh? and he's giving, he's actually giving the, the devil microphone. And the devil has been given a microphone to speak to people and say what he is doing in this person's life. You know, it is just, uh, I look at it as a total waste of good time that you can just tell people who they are, what they are, why they have been called and what kind of power is in them so that we don't have such shenanigans in church. When people have come to church, take that time to teach them, for them to understand who Christ is, why he is in their life, what he has made them, what they have become and who they have become in this Christ. We wouldn't have time to waste, to waste casting out demons. Demons are possessing people out there who do not know Christ, who have not access, accepted Christ yet. So there's a vacuum in their heart and the devil finds a place to live in. So let's not give him airtime. Don't waste time casting out demons. By the way, there's a day, Mom Dorothy was telling me a story that there's a devil that wanted to take time. You know, she was casting out a demon on, on one of the ladies that visited her. And she the devil was shouting. And you know, the husband had already told him, do you know what she did? She told the devil, shut up and out. And that's exactly what happened. She didn't give the devil airtime. I've already said, shut up and leave. And with that, that's, with that story, she taught me a lot. I don't have to entertain the devil. I don't want to listen because there's nothing that is going to come out of your mouth that is the truth anyway. So why am I listening to you? Get out, go. I have other things to do. You get out, then I teach this girl who she is and why she does not have the room for the devil anymore. So please let us understand who we are. And let's, let's not waste time.